Have you ever seen someone ruin their life with the choices that they make? I am sure in a room this size, there are plenty of us who have met or have heard of somebody who made certain choices that led them into trouble. About 17, year, 17 years ago, when I accepted Christ, there was a, another young man who came to know Jesus that same week. Let's call him Joe the Man. Joe the Man. Well, Joe the Man was not just any ordinary or your average Joe. Joe was smart. Joe was intelligent. Joe was a straight-A student. He was a learning machine. He had all the qualities somebody could be seeking in a young Christian. At 16 years old, he was so business-minded, he opened his own peanut butter business and sandwich. He sells to his cousin and his neighbors. And three years later, he learns how to tailor. And five years later, he was working for the best designer in the whole country. So this is the kind of guy he was right out of high school. And not only that, Joe is the kind of guy that the girls were all after. While they would not even know my name, that his ex-girlfriends were lined up to try to get a date with this guy. This is the kind of guy that you hate when you're an awkward, with words, teenager like I was. So this is Joe the man. And spiritually, Joe had it going for himself too. Joe brought many people to Christ in the church. The church size, the church grew numerically because this young man had so many friends when he came to Christ who wanted to hear the gospel. The church loved Joe so much, they paid a scholarship for him to go to Bible school. The church has never done this for anyone. The church has no money to do this for anyone to begin with. This is the kind of guy he was. He had it all together. Everything looked great. His future looked secure financially. He owned two shops. Even by the time he was maybe 20 years old, he owned two shops, a barber shop and a tailoring shop. You name it, this guy knew how to live. He knew how to make money. He, knows he has all the skills that I would envy and wanted to have. Yet, something that nobody suspected was happening in Joe's life. Joe... I do not know by which way the enemy slipped that one past them. Joe started to let M, the love of money, gain over his heart. And he started listening to the advice of some people who were not the right kind of people to follow. And he got involved with, I mean, sexually in a, with People I would not have ever imagined because this guy was so solid and so guarded. Joe fell so low. Today, if you meet him and he tells you that he knows God, you would not believe it for a bit. Because there's nothing he has to show for his knowledge of God for where he is right now. He's running away from the police today as a fugitive. He's my good friend. And that I ache for that. For him, And yet this is where, this is how low my friend fell. Now, how did he get there? Why? I do not know why, but I know how. Today, we're about to address a portion of scripture that is designed to warn young people or general people to 
generally speaking, to guard yourself again against certain temptations and snares that can lead you to ruin. Proverbs from chapter 2 on all the way to chapter 9 is giving the superiority of wisdom over folly. Superiority of living wisely over living foolishly. This is what kind of text we are unpacking today. And specifically here, this text presents us with two priceless blessings of a sold-out pursuit of wisdom. Two priceless benefits that flow from an active quest for wisdom from God. This is what our text is going to open up for us today. So we ask, what happens if Joe had pursued wisdom continuously in his life? I don't think today that would be the story I'm telling you. So today, you and I would do well to not stop in our pursuit of wisdom. And our text today is going to answer how, what will happen if we actively pursue wisdom. First of all, the text presents us with three conditions. And these conditions, they basically give us the, what it looks like if you and I, we are actively going after wisdom. Wisdom. We actively pursue wisdom. It is when we treasure God's word. This is verses 1 and 2. We engage in a sold-out pursuit of wisdom when we make the commands of God a treasure in our hearts. It's tore house. Let me read for you. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, First of all, let me introduce you to this text. This text is it's pretty interesting as the way it's... Remember, you're not reading a story here. Portions of scripture have to be interpreted according to the literature, the type of literature it was written. If you're reading Dr. Seuss, for instance, you expect some rhyme because it's American or childish poetry. You know, you hear, do you like green eggs and ham? Sam I am. And the answer was, no, I don't like green eggs and ham. Sam, I am. So you notice it's lining up some sound that makes it attractive, very memorable. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, they didn't use sound to make poetry look nice. They used something, praise the Lord, it was like that called parallelism. And it translated into English, too. You can see it as you read the English word. Notice the, the words and the clauses of statements, they're parallel. It says, if you receive my words... And instead of giving you an other instruction, he gives you the same instruction but with other words. He says, and treasure up my commandments with you. When you treasure something, when you receive the words of God or any instructor, basically you take them as valid, you take them as true. And not only that, it says you treasure it up. So you don't just, oh, that was God's word. Put it under the bed. No, you, you take it. You put it in your mind. You store it up. You memorize. You let your heart muse over it. You, you make it find a welcoming home in your heart. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, making your ear attentive to wisdom. This is how you receive and treasure the commands, the instructions. It's by making your ear attentive. And again, parallelism is going to follow. And inclining your heart. Sometimes parallelism advances what it's speaking about. When you 
When you make your ear attentive, you're listening closely. But when you incline your heart, you let the word find loyalty in you. That expression, incline your heart, is found in the book of Kings, 1 Kings and other places. It means you give your disposition forward. You let it seduce your heart. You let it take over every affection that you have. So how do we actively pursue wisdom, first of all? It's by treasuring God's word. Asians memorize in school. They do not go and just read the books and then take a test and show that they understood the material, which should, have been, which should be a good thing to do. However, the way they do school, because we don't have a lot of books, what they do, they give you one little manual for whatever natural sciences, and you have to know it from cover to cover. You memorize every single word. You repeat it, you repeat it until it becomes part of your memory, part of your thinking, part of what you can just spit out even when you're asleep. There is great side to that because now when you need it, you don't have to have the book with you. So this is the first step, God's word, in, in actively pursuing wisdom from God. It's by making the commandments of God, the word of God, something that you keep in your heart, not just with your mind. So you and I, it is high time that we renew our affections. I myself have gone cold in my memorization, in my retaining the word of God. I read it, oh, it's good enough because nobody memorizes it anymore. And I, can't, I become lazy in my pursuit of knowing what the word of God says. I have to open up the Bible. Sometimes you're in a place where the Holy Spirit will remind you of what you retain from the word. So it is extremely beneficial that we store up the word of God like a treasure in our hearts. Now, you actively pursue wisdom not only by treasuring the word and the commandments of God, you also need to ask God for wisdom. You actively pursue wisdom by requesting God for it. The phrase here kind of confused me when I first read it. It says, if you call out for insight, verse 3, and raise your voice for understanding. Okay? What in the world should that say? It says, if you call out for insight, do I go out in the street and, and just yell, wisdom, where are you? Intelligence, where are you? understanding, where are you? Is that what the text is talking about? The picture, however, the text is painting has to do with when somebody is in front of a king. They're at the mercy of that king for judgment. And if they do not want to be executed, they have to call out and cry out for mercy. So the way this text is picturing the quest for wisdom is not just nonchalant. Oh, do you have some chewing gum? Can I have some chewing gum? No, it's not this kind of request. This is, this is for the life of you. This is life and death kind of request. I don't know if you've seen the movie Braveheart. I hope you did because I'm not going to be able to explain it too well to you with the time we got, neither with my memory. But one particular scene towards the end really captures what desperate plea is supposed to be. Although this movie is going to disappoint you in that sense, but for a good reason. Here's William Wallace. 
captured by the king, condemned for execution for being a rebel. And on the platform where they're executing, executing him, normally they ask the prisoners, do you choose a merciful death or the hard way? Are you going to be a tough cookie and then suffer as long as you can? And William Wallace, instead of crying out, mercy, 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 he gathered all his strength and yelled, freedom, freedom. He asked for freedom instead of mercy. Obviously, this is not what nobody expected. But this is what William Wallace was longing for. This is what was worth his death for himself. So the cry, the prayer, the request to God for wisdom is not a nonchalant God. If you don't give it to me, I'll be fine. I'll manage with my own resources. This is something, if I don't get it, Lord, from you, I am ruined. I am lost. This is something that requires all the energy that we have, all the time that we have to ask God for it. And the third way that we actively pursue, pursue wisdom follows right after that, and it's introduced as well by another conditional form. It says, if, verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. If you seek, if you pursue it, if you search for it like a treasure, and the benefits are going to flow. But let's unpack this condition real quick. I don't know if you have a... We, we don't do that in this day and age. We don't go hunt for treasures anymore. I don't, we think the technology has already found all of them already. But in ancient times, people made bank by, tre- by looking for treasures, hunting for them. But today, we don't hunt for, the, for these treasures Our treasures are other things. Our treasures are found in our IRA, in the stock market, in our bank accounts. Those are the treasures. You know what a treasure looks like? Thousands and thousands of people audition every year for just, for certain shows. You can name it. You can find some of them. Uh, The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent. These people want to get in the spotlight, or they want to make it to Hollywood through their talent, through their skill. Not that there's no room for that, but let's show you how these people pursue this to show you how serious they're looking for that. They treasure the benefit that can come out of being elected to go to whatever, to get a record deal and so forth. These people will stand on the street in lines in front of thousands of other contestants for hours. Some auditions, some of them are held in Texas. I remember I, watched, I saw that one on TV. People were standing in line, some for eight hours. I don't know if I can stand for four hours without, I don't know, without trying to, 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 to relieve myself from, from you know, the gravity and so forth. These people would wait for hours on end to just get an audition. This is what seeking a treasure looks like. You give it your time, your energy. You spare no pain for it. So we say this. You pursue wisdom. You pursue wisdom actively 
by treasuring God's word, when you ask God for wisdom, and we seek for wisdom. And speaking of asking, uh, it's, it's straightforward asking God is talking about. In James 1.4, think about this. It says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, and it will be given him. Now, <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, we were in college uh, back in Haiti, and it was just minutes before his mind-boggling math exam. And he just was awakened by the realization that he has no calculator with him. So he ran to the next, next classroom, the classroom next door, and finds a friend who, had, who was a second year, an upperclassman. He said, do you have a calculator? The friend said, yes. Does it operate function X and Y and Z? The friend said, yes. Uh, does it have good battery life? And by the time the friend answered the third question, another guy walks by who was taking the test as well. He said, hey, can I borrow your calculator? And then without hesitation or lack of fluidity, the guy just reached in his backpack and handed the calculator to the next friend. This is not the way you ask God or you pursue wisdom. Go straight forward and raw to God. Just say, God, I'm lost. Don't waste your time worrying before God. Don't say, oh, Lord, how am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to take care of the kids? How am I going to survive? Just go, God, give me wisdom. I need it. I don't know how to handle the situation I'm in. I'm, I'm in over my head. You remember Solomon? You know how he spoke to God in that blank check that God gave him? I wish God would do that to us here. That would be great. But Solomon is, is offering an offering on Mount Gibeon. And here he is, the Lord reveals himself to him and said, ask what you want. And Solomon, he assessed his need. He said, Lord, I'm just a child. You have been very kind, very merciful to my father. You give him a kingdom and you give him descendants to follow. And you've been very kind to me. You put me on this throne. But now I'm just a child. I'm just a young man. I don't know my coming or my going. That means I have no idea which foot to put in front of the other when it comes to leading your people. He said, who can govern this? Your great people. So your people is so great. Your, the task in front of me is so big, I cannot do this. So he said, God, would you give me wisdom to judge between what is right and what is wrong? That's, that is wisdom. Knowing what is right, what is wrong. Knowing what is just, what is not just. He said, give me that because who can govern your people? And God was so pleased. You know the end of the story. God gave him more than he asked for, more than he bargained for, because this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. We're going to see later on that God is pleased to give wisdom, as he himself is the source of wisdom. So these are the three conditions for an active pursuit of wisdom to benefit the true blessings that come for it. We treasure God's word. We ask God with no hesitation, with no wasting time on worries. And then we seek wisdom. We seek it like a treasure. Now, here's the part you've been waiting for. What are the blessings that are supposed to flow from an active pursuit of wisdom? The first blessing, the first benefit that flows, actually they're both on the same nature, it's we understand how to fear 
God. That doesn't sound too great, does it? Because fear is not a positive feeling, is it? So we understand, we get greater insight in how to live in the fear of the Lord. Now, as not exciting as this may sound, the fear of the Lord is something to be excited about. If you look at the phrase by itself without even other names for God, you just look at the fear of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, about 21 times it is used. Let me just give you a few examples in the way it's used. First of all, we, you, you may see that the fear of the Lord is considered a desirable thing. It's considered a treasurable quality. In Isaiah 11.3 and Isaiah 33.6, you will see that. In Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is considered clean. It says the fear of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. And in Psalm 111.10 and Proverbs 9.10, you'll see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is something that you and I, even though it may sound like something so great, we want it. If you want to be a wise Christian, if you want to be a victorious Christian, the fear of the Lord is something that you and I, we want to have. And you already know the condition to have it, but also look at what the fear of the Lord also looks like. Proverbs 1, 7, it says it's the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 8, 3, the, being, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. It is advantageous for life. It says it gives life. Proverbs 10, 27, 14, 27, 19, 23. We don't have time to read through those, but it's just a, few, a quick survey. And lastly, if you read, if you try to spot all these occurrences of the fear of the Lord, you will notice that it's always, or I mean often, connected with knowledge. It's often connected with knowledge of God. And our text does not fail to do the same thing with this parallelism. Look at how it says this here. It says, verse 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, second line, parallel line, and find the knowledge of God. I used to work for a mission organization. They hired interpreters, security guards, and so forth. One of the security guards, uh, his name was Fontenelle. He, this guy cracks me up still today. We had about two or three bosses. But one of the bosses is pretty tight with money. And the other one was so generous, so friendly, and so easy to work with. So Fontenelle, my friend, anywhere, any mission trip that we, ha- we are going through, if the tight boss is going to trip A and the generous one is going to trip B, Fontenelle, you know where he wants to be. He wants to be on trip B because this is where the money is at. You know? So it became, the guy became a shadow of the generous boss. The generous boss' name was Janiel. So it got to the point where I started, started observing him. If I see Janiel in the courtyard, about 20 yards behind, I will find Fontenelle. I could not believe it. So I get to the point, I said, Fontenelle, is there a connection between you and Janiel? Why is it that wherever I see him, if I look just around, you're not far in the, in, in, in the, in the area? He said, you know why. You know, he's, the, he's the real boss. He's the good boss. But this is how knowledge of God works with fear of God. 
they work hand in hand. Where, the, where is the fear of God? Knowledge of God is not too far. It's like salt and pepper. You know, wherever you see salt on the table, pepper is not too far in the area. So it works. If you fear the Lord, if you have reverence for God, you will know God. That's pure and simple. You will know the Lord if you fear him. And let me correct this misconception that may come when we hear the phrase fear of the Lord. It is not dread of the Lord. You know what dread of the Lord is? This is what the Israelites experienced when they saw smoke on the mountain and thunder. They were, oh, no, Moses, speak to us now because we'll die if, we, if God keeps speaking to us directly. That was a dread of the Lord. This is not fear of the Lord. You know what fear of the Lord is? Fear of the Lord translates into loving God's word. It translates into following God's command, into obeying God. Not out of compulsion, I mean compunction and all this fear. Not, oh, oh, I don't want to go to hell. I'd better obey God. No. Imagine Job was obeying God or fearing God out of dread of punishment. Job would have abandoned God after he lost everything, right? The man lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost uh, his riches. It's like his life is like a country song. He lost everything, you know? And yet, did Job leave the Lord? Abandon the Lord for that? No, he feared the Lord. He stuck with the Lord. He stayed with him. So imagine today that you and I, we don't look, when we fear God, we don't look at the benefits that come from following God, nor the punishment that comes from not following God. That's not what we look at. We look at who God is and how we belong to him and appropriately return the worship, the obedience that belongs to God. Fear of the Lord is something that you and I should covet, something that you and I should long for and seek to apply every day in our lives. Now, our text doesn't just leave us with no reason why, that if we pursue actively wisdom, that we will know the Lord and we'll have fear of him. It says, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. See the reason why? Because God gives wisdom, wisdom. James 1.5, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So the source of wisdom is God. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding and wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, they mean similar things. They mean just understanding of how life works, how to live for God. And he continues, he says, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the way of his saints. What is the word telling us here? It says, if you actively pursue wisdom from God and you gain knowledge of God and knowledge of the fear of the Lord, what it means, guess what? You have an edge over the wicked. You have an edge over the one who does not know the Lord because you understand how God protects his people. The fool does not understand that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. He looked, he said, okay, Christians are suffering, I'm suffering. What's the difference? You see what I mean? Well, Christians, some Christians have money, some Christians don't. Some unbelievers have money, some believers don't. So what's the deal? No, the fear of the Lord, knowledge of the, the Lord will show you how God cares theologically for his saints. Now, this is kind of misleading the word saints here because when I first read it, I was like, whoa, whoa, what is saints doing here? 
because I'm not in New Testament, <laughs> you know, what is that? And I looked at it, I really felt like the ESV didn't do us justice on that one because as Christians, we think New Testament a lot and we tend to misread things. The word here is the same word used for loyal love. The word for, that is translate sense. Basically, the words mean those who work faithfully. Those who work in faithful covenant love with God. It's the same word that translates, you know, loving kindness, loyal love. It's a lot of times, you guess for whom it is used? For God, not just for people. In Isaiah, I forget the reference now. <laughs> it, it says that God says, oh, faithless Israel, why don't you come to me? Because I am, that same word, I don't want to say it. He said, because I am, yes, we say merciful, but actually I am faithful. That means I am someone when I said, I'll be what I'm going to be, even when you're not who you're supposed to be, I do it. This is what it's saying here. Are you going to keep the commitment you made to the Lord, the heart that you give to the Lord, regardless of what circumstances do? This is the kind of, this is the person defined as a saint here, as a devout person, as a loyal, loving person towards God. And what does the Lord do? The Lord knows how to watch over these saints of his. Now, have you ever been lost for something? Like, you don't know how to get somewhere or you don't know how to find something? There was a, I was hanging out with my family in the countryside one time. And in the countryside, they have different ways of saying certain things. So you think you know your language, and you find out, oh, there are words that you don't know out there. They sent me to go for, to fetch a basket, but they did not say a basket. They said something weird. And not wanting to show that I was a dumb kid, so I walked as though I knew what they said, and I tried to execute the comment. So I walked into the room, I looked around, I looked around, I can't find whatever they told me. So I looked around, I looked around, I cannot find whatever told me. And there is a six-year-old right there. I said, hey, by the way, what is that word? The kid just looked at me. He pointed to the basket. This. So I went, oh, my word. So I just grabbed the basket and brought it over to my aunt who asked me for it. So this is how I was. This is what it is when you don't know what something is. You just lost. You just act dumb. You act foolish. You are looking, and the thing is right in front of you. It's daylight, but you walk as though you're in darkness. Well, this is the second benefit of actively pursuing God. You will not be in the dark about knowing how to live for God. We understand how to live for God if we actively pursue wisdom. We understand what it means to live righteously. Let's look at verse 9. It says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity Every good path. Every good path, that's a catch-all phrase for all the stuff that he preceded, that he just said. You will understand how to lead your life, how to behave in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. You will understand, you will not be lost like I was into finding out what God is asking you to do. We live in a day and age where it's very I mean, it's becoming increasingly difficult to interpret how to live righteously in America. 
I don't know if you are aware of this, but last week I was listening to the radio, and there is this, uh, I don't know if he's a reporter, but he was managing a newspaper. He's a Christian man in Iowa. And, you know, he's been doing the job for many years, and he has all kinds of award for doing the job so well. And yet, recently, he went on his own private blog. He writes, he, he interacted against a view that violated the truth of the Bible. He just writes against it. He just said, whatever so-and-so says about this, this is such a disrespect for God's word. And he, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the story in front of me. But he just he argued against the view and of sexuality, how God sees it, how the Bible sees it. And long story short, you know how hot the topic is, and there are some watchers out, watchdogs out there. They called the owner of the station, of the newspaper, and they got the guy fired pretty quickly. Afterwards, he's fired. So now, how would you and I, in a place that's becoming increasingly secular, where the values of the world are being imposed, upon the way we should live morally before God, how in the world are you and I going to interpret living wisely before God, living righteously in this world? I think we'll be lost the way I was looking for the basket if we do not actively pursue wisdom before the Lord. Open up the word of God and seek out what it means. You know, double our vigilance, double, double our perseverance. In our small group, multiply your, more questions for your leader. Ask him, what, in the, what is the words saying here, and what do I see out there? How, how do these two meet up? The word of God is not, you know, a dead word. It's living and active. It's supposed to be in your life every day. Every day. I talked to you about... Uh, my friend, uh, Joe the man, how he ruined his life. He was walking on a path that everyone was applauding. Everyone was supporting. People were willing to invest money to help him learn the word because he was so promising young man. And yet he fell so low that there is no knowledge of God in his life. At least as of now, and I pray the Lord would turn things around for him quickly. But there's some major things that need to turn, that needs to happen. I'm not, I don't know if he's ready. He has to turn himself over to the police first, which, is, which would be a very difficult decision to do. But you look at him, and you cannot say there is a testimony of Christ in his life. Is there, with not Joe the man here, I hope nobody is in that place that he is. But if you and I, we are sincere, there are areas of life that we act foolishly where if an unbeliever looks at our life, there is no understanding of God in our life. We act as though we do not know the Lord. One area that could be, it could be in our finances. We treat our finances as though they were the ultimate reason why we're living. John Piper defines the tragedy like this. A 41-year-old couple made tons of money, retired, and now they're in Florida uh, collecting seashells on the shore. 
He calls that a tragedy. Whereas this is what everybody seems to be longing for. I have my big house. I have the big bank account. I don't need to work anymore a day of my life. I can have fun. But this is the waste of life. We are not put on earth for that. We are put for God. So if our life is not glorifying God, even in the way we approach money, then our life is a waste. It is not a successful story, no matter how much we gain. If you give your life to the American dream, you'll find soon enough that it does not satisfy. Contentment and satisfaction is not a thing that comes from things that you can get. Jesus says it really well already in Matthew 6.33. He said, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you'll have all the other things. So basically, the pursuit of happiness is a vain pursuit because you don't gain happiness by pursuing happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of pursuing God. So if the way you live with money shows that you do not know God, today the Lord is making that clear to you, that offer. Pursue God. Spend more time, maybe this week in prayer. Say, God, I need to get my money in order. Certain thing is not going right. Give me wisdom for that. I need wisdom for that personally. So there is several areas in which we are like my friend Joe, where there's no knowledge of God in the way we deal with certain things. Another area of that will be soul care. You know, wake up in the morning, go to work, come back home, tired, exhausted, sleep again, go back to work, and then your co-workers cannot see any trace of God in your life. So this is an area where wisdom is needed, where an active pursuit of wisdom from God is needed. So maybe you can take this whole week and identify one area in which, whether it is finances, whether it is your personal care before the Lord, that you ask the Lord. You know, make it a, a, a point. Okay, I'm going to shut off my phone. I'm not going to Facebook this morning first thing. I'm not going to Twitter. I'm going to refrain from Twitter until I spend time with God in his word and pray. Say, God, give me wisdom that I may glorify you today. And the promise is clear. If we actively do that, there will be sign of knowledge of God in our life. There will be sign that we know how to live righteously. Righteously. Maybe it is not just work that shows that you are acting foolishly. Maybe it's other things that we do not know about, that your family does not know about, whatever it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your children, whatever it is, the Lord would be more than pleased to provide you with the wisdom that you need if you would invest the pursuit that is needed, required to know God and to fear him in everything. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that your word found a welcoming home, a treasure, Lord, in uh, our hearts. I pray that we may be uh, active pursuers of wisdom that comes from you, and we may be obedient. I pray that let the fear of God and the knowledge of God be evident in our lives. And more importantly, let us obey in the day-to-day -day basis. Let us not 
act as dead as people who do not know you. Let the world know that we know the Lord and pursuing him is their life pursuit that we are. We're not after other things that do not satisfy. We need other things, Lord, and you provide graciously. So I pray that our hearts will be in the right place and our life will show who God is to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.